Well, today I wanted to start off by uh, sharing a line, just starting with a line that would create some tension in the room, maybe even scare a few people. Uh, but in today's climate of, of scandal in Christian leadership, I thought better of it. Uh, although I'm not afraid of risky introductions to sermons. Uh, one time we started a sermon by having me carried out inside an enclosed casket. Uh, no one knew I was in the casket. I actually started preaching from inside the closed casket. It was an absolute disaster. Uh, the microphone didn't work. We offended people. Like, I don't recommend it, but we tried it, uh, to say the least. Another time, I walked out here very somberly to start a sermon holding a, a paper, and I started the message by reading my fake resignation. Uh, like, it actually tied into the sermon, uh, but no one except our staff and leadership council knew it was fake, and my hands were, like, trembling. I was so nervous about my fake resignation, it probably made it seem more real than it, than, you know, than it was, uh, so we tried that as well. All that to say, I'm not afraid to risky introductions, and I probably built this up so much now, it won't even seem risky at all. So are you ready to hear how I was going to start the sermon originally? Okay. It, it might help, first of all, if the new people know who, the, who this guy is, so if you don't know, my name is Jeff Manis. Uh, I am the lead pastor here. And for everyone who is with us, including anyone joining us on video somewhere, I'm so glad that you are here. I was going to start uh, my sermon by walking out here and dramatically saying, as your pastor, I have misled you as a congregation. And then pause for dramatic effect. And it probably would have been dramatic. And, and while it you know, would have got your attention to say the least, here, here's the thing. I do feel like uh, with, with the subject we're tackling in the series that we're starting today, not intentionally, definitely not immorally, but I do feel like I have unintentionally contributed to the misleading of people. And, and here's what I mean. Today we are starting a sermon series called Hashtag Single. And the tagline for the, for the series is finding fulfillment no matter your relationship status. And here's why I feel like I have unintentionally misled you. Over the years, uh, 12 years here at Element, my teaching on singleness and relationships and marriage, really most of the teaching in the last several decades inside the Christian church has been with the expectation that everyone will be married or that you specifically should be married. Almost like it's a right in the Christian faith that I find a spouse. We have, we have kind of taught that the reward for being a good single person is receiving a great, passionate, exciting, romantic marriage like we see on the unrealistic movies on the big screen. The church not just Element Church, but the Christian church, the church, we've made marriage the end goal for everyone. We've made marriage the purpose for everyone. And because of that, the church has only perpetuated the notion that there is someone out there for you who is the one. Ever heard that before? Well, they just haven't found the one. Or I just, I'm single because I just haven't found the one. Meaning the one who can complete you, fulfill you, and provide for you all you need in your relationship status. The church has actually made marriage an idol. And we are bowing down to it every day. 
We don't do it on purpose. But as parents of young children, we bow down to the marriage idol by saying to them, when you get married, as if the expectation is that they have to, instead of if you get married. We say to three, four, five-year-olds, do you have a boyfriend? Do you have a girlfriend yet? As, par as, as parents of adult single children, we bow down to the idol by not saying when you get married, but when are you getting married? Because who's, who's gonna give us grandchildren, right? That's scary. <laughs> we bow down to it in the church by looking at single people and trying to play matchmaker. Well, why aren't they married yet? They're so pretty. They have it all together. They're such a great person. Surely there's a someone for them. And we try to hook them up to make marriages out of the single people in the church. In our idolization of marriage, we have led people to believe that the only way we can be fulfilled or complete in this life is through romantic marital love. Now, in the process, though, we have to be extremely careful that, that we don't demonize marriage in the process. Because marriage is not bad, just like singleness is not bad. The reality is we need to, in the church, deepen our understanding. I think we need a paradigm shift, if you will. In the way we think of both marriage and singleness in light of what the scripture says, not what the big screen says. And we need to elevate the status of singles and singleness to an equal place of value and honor in the church and the kingdom of God. That's my hope for this series. And if you are here today and you are single, especially if you have been single under my teaching and leadership or maybe single in another church where you might have felt like singleness meant you were less than, I just want to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry for how the church, I believe, has not got this right over the years. And I would ask for your forgiveness for how I have not got it right, even if it is unintentionally. And I pray we begin to change this through this series. Hashtag single is typically viewed as a negative thing on social media. Uh, like one person I saw online posted a picture of a sunset. Uh, we have, this is not her picture here, but it is her quote from social media. I would normally be watching this beautiful sunset with my BF, my boyfriend, but he broke up with me, so hashtag single. It's negative, right? Or, or this guy here, I don't recommend this if you're trying to find someone. Not his picture, but his statement is what he used. I'm tired of being hashtag single. I think I'm gonna find a sugar mama. <laughs> Probably not the best approach there, bro. But behind both of those posts and literally hundreds of others uh, online using the hashtag single, behind those posts are the belief that if I wasn't single, I'd be fulfilled. If I wasn't single, I'd be satisfied, which is a lie. It's a lie. Henry Nouwen, Dutch theologian and pastor, said this, when we expect a friend or lover to take away our deepest pain or fulfill our deepest longings, we expect from him or her something that cannot be given by another human being. 
And then Pastor J.D. Greer, pastor of Summit Church in North Carolina said this, lonely, insecure, single people become lonely, insecure, married people because problems like loneliness and insecurity are not cured by another human being. They are only cured by the infinite love of God. Wow. And listen, I know that not everyone who is joining us today believes in God, or if you do believe in God, you may not believe he's infinitely loving. And I get that. Love it that you're here, and you need to know that you're going to hear some things in this message, and I pray that you'll keep coming through the whole series, but you're going to hear some things in the series about relationships, marriage, and, and sexuality that sound crazy. And I'm just acknowledging to you that I agree. They sound crazy. In fact, you're going to say things even today like this. No one lives like that. And you're right. Not many people will live like the way I'm challenging us to live. What's crazier to me though is, while not many people live like this, we all keep chasing the same rabbit, never truly finding fulfillment, wondering if the next person can provide it for me. Our vision here at Element is to guide people to experience life to its fullest, connect into meaningful relationships, and make a lasting impact. But it's awfully hard to experience life to its fullest if I am not being fulfilled by Christ. So here's how we're using hashtag single. It's a play on words. For us, hashtag single means that no matter what your relationship status is, there is only one key to being fulfilled And that key is not in finding the right spouse. It's in having the right focus. So here's the big idea for today. It's on the screens if you want to write it down. Until I have a single focus in this life, I will never be satisfied fully with this life. Until I've got a single focus, I will not be satisfied fully So the big question we've got to answer then is this, what should be my focus in life? What's that focus I've got to have? By the way, both for married and single people, this is true, okay? The main scripture is just one verse today, Matthew 6, 33, but don't think because we have one verse, I'll preach shorter. Uh, Matthew 6, 33 is in the New Testament, the very first book of the New Testament. If you don't own your own Bible, by the way, we'd love to give you one for free. Um, Everything we teach, I believe, comes from Scripture. And so uh, we'd love for you to have that. Just ask for one out in the the lobby. Uh, They are totally free. Uh, This verse here, Matthew 6, 33, we find ourselves in the middle of what's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's perhaps the the most powerful, it is the most lengthy sermon uh, recorded in Scripture from Jesus himself. And in this part of the the sermon, Jesus is teaching on not worrying about things from from everyday life. So not worrying about everyday life kind of of things. And uh, he's talking about food, clothing, money, shelter. Uh, But Matthew 6, 33, I think applies to every area of life, all right? So Matthew 6, 33 says this. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously And he, that's God, will give you everything you need. So what should be my focus in life, both for those who are already married and those who are single, maybe hoping to be married one day, what should be our focus? Number one is this, super simple, the kingdom of God. The kingdom 
of God should be our focus. Jesus said, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Uh, The Benson commentary, a theologian, he said this, seeking it, the kingdom, with the greatest earnestness and concern as being the principal thing in life. That sounds an awful lot like having a single focus, does it not? As the principal thing in life. So if we are to seek the kingdom of God above all else as being the principal thing in life, don't you think we should know what the kingdom of God is? That would be helpful, right? And so ultimately, the kingdom of God is his eternal kingdom that one day will be established with a new heaven on a new earth where those who believe in and follow Jesus will spend eternity with God forever. That is ultimately the ultimate kingdom of God. And I want us to understand something about that coming kingdom that should actually change our focus while we live in God's kingdom here on the earth, okay? In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus was approached by some religious leaders who wanted to trap him with a question. The Jewish law said that if a married man died without providing children for his spouse, that the next closest living relative should marry that woman, provide for her a child that will then take on the deceased husband's name to carry on his family line. And so these leaders, you know, they, they kind of cooked up this scenario of a, a man who had seven brothers. He married a woman, did not provide for her children and died, did not provide children for her, and he passed away. And so the next brother married her, and he died before providing children. The third brother married her, and he died before having children, until all seven brothers married this woman and died before having children, Okay. And so that's what they cooked up. And they asked Jesus this question, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? Or whose wife will she be essentially in heaven? Now, if I were Jesus, I might've said something snarky in return. (laughs) I might've said, your story is flawed because the fourth brother, if he had any common sense after three brothers died, would have said, there ain't no way I'm marrying that woman. She is cursed, or she's killing him, or something. But Jesus is not like me, and we're all thankful for that. So he answered their question. And really, his answer puts a gaping hole right into the theology of, our, of marriage, our theology of marriage. Matthew 22, 29 and 30, Jesus replied, Your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God, which would have been incredibly offensive to these leaders. For when the dead rise, or in other words, in the coming kingdom in heaven, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like the angels in heaven, which buckle up, because that means as far as we can tell, Angels don't get to marry or have sex. So Jesus seems to to plainly teach that in the new heaven and new earth, in the coming eternal kingdom of God, the kingdom that we should seek above all else, we as Christians in heaven with Jesus, we will neither be married 
nor be given in marriage, we will be like the angels in heaven. Which means for eternity, apparently, we will be single, celibate people. Hello. Some of you are like, oh crap, I'm not sure I want to go then. <laughs> if we're just being honest. Which, by the way, our reaction to that only exposes our problem. That we as Christians have so idolized marriage and sex that we believe not even God himself in a perfected heaven on earth where we will have received glorified, perfected bodies that not even God himself can satisfy us if we don't have it. Now, we need to understand that part of the reason we will neither be married nor be given in marriage in God's eternal kingdom is because in that com coming kingdom, we will be fully satisfied and perfectly fulfilled in oneness with our creator. I know that sounds like crazy talk to some people, but it's actually what our souls are longing for. It's what our souls have craved since the Garden of Eden. That marriage or even the desire for marriage is not a bad thing. But, but marriage and the desire for marriage, even the ecstasy of a sexual experience only points us to the reality that we are not and cannot be 100% complete on this side of eternity that our hearts and bodies actually long for something greater than oneness with a person. We long for oneness with our creator. Marriage is just a picture or an illustration of that oneness. It is not the solution. In fact, I would say marriage, marriage doesn't solve any problems. It only reveals the problems we already had. Again, this doesn't mean we should not celebrate marriage. We should, okay? God designed it. It's a beautiful institution uh, for us on, on the planet. doesn't mean we should not celebrate marriage or, or not celebrate the, the beauty and intimacy of sex, uh, of what sex can and should bring in a monogamous, loving, biblical, healthy marriage between a man and a woman. Uh, we're going to talk about all those things in this series, okay? It just, it just means that perhaps our focus is off if we are obsessing ourselves in this life over what will not even exist in the next life. In fact, when Jesus described the greatest expression of love that a human being can show, marriage and sex did not make the list. And I understand, I, I am preaching this reality from a married position, which seems unfair. I just want to acknowledge that. Because there are single people in the room that says, easy for you to say. I'm saying, no, this is something that has to be a paradigm shift in my own heart. Okay? Jesus said this, John 15, verse 13. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's, what? Friends. And as one of my friends said about that verse, yes, and Jesus did not mean friends with benefits. <laughs> Which is a great line, by the way. 
He's saying a friendship that is deep enough to lay down one's life or one's way of life for another, much like Jesus did for us, is the highest expression of love in the kingdom of God. Yet how many of us, married or single, seek that above everything else? Whoo. I hope some people are being challenged besides just me today. Because until we have a single focus in this life, we'll never be satisfied fully with this life. So what should be my focus? The kingdom of God. It doesn't mean we should not be married. It just means marriage is not the solution. Jesus is. And one of the theologians I read said, the kingdom of God we should seek above all else is the one described in Romans 14, 17, which actually is super helpful and will lead us into the second point here. So Romans 14, 17 says this, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, and I'm adding in there, or of if or who we marry, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So that word goodness in the original Greek language that this was written in literally means righteousness or the approval of God. So that ties directly into what Jesus said in Matthew 6, Look again, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. That word goodness means righteous, okay? So the second part of our, our focus is this. We've got to focus on the character of God. The kingdom of God, which I believe his kingdom is revealed through his character. We've got to focus on the character of God. If more of us, both single and married, if more of us focused on developing the character of God in our hearts, rather than developing the characteristics of a perfect spouse we want to have in our home, we'd be a lot better off and a lot more fulfilled whether we're married or not. And I've never seen this idea more overlooked than in how we live as singles. Really, if you want to get down to it, how we have led and taught singles, especially in the church. Singleness, both inside and outside the church, is often presented as a season you must endure, as a burden you have to bear, designed to prepare the single person, not for a life of Christian discipleship, but for a life of marriage. That singleness is not preparing us to live for Jesus. It's actually, we are telling them, preparing you to live for someone else, a spouse. And purity in the church, the purity culture in the church might have been the greatest culprit in our lack of proper focus. Because over the last 30 40 years or so, purity in the church became a ticket for singles to experience a more pleasurable sex life once they're married. We have basically taught single people, especially young single people, just say no to sex now and you'll have great sex in marriage. Inadvertently, we've taught that. Instead of teaching this, hey, Say yes to the ways of Jesus now. Develop your character. And if God has a marriage in your future, say yes to his ways then too. Instead of making the focus about sex. 
Listen, every single person in the room, listen to me. I won't look at you because I don't want to point you out. I'm just looking at everybody. Every single person in the room, listen to me. Purity, seeking the character of God, is not about saying no to sex. It is about saying yes to the ways of Jesus, which are far greater than sex itself. And again, I know that sounds like craziness in this over-sexualized culture that we live in. But if that's not true, then sex can actually offer us something that Jesus Christ himself cannot. Saying no with the hopes that it will lead to great sex in marriage only sets us up for massive disappointment and pain and oftentimes leads to the very impurity we're trying to avoid. And by the way, to those of us in the room who have messed up sexually, you haven't lived in purity, you have not sought the character of God in your sexuality, guess what? Listen to me. God still loves you. You are still God's precious and treasured creation. You are adored by your maker. You are valued and honored and you are lifted up. You have not ruined your future. You are not damaged goods. Yes, the choices we make today have a profound effect on our future, but we serve a God who's called the great I am for a reason. We, we serve a, a God who, who welcomed the unclean, who healed the sick and raised the dead. And, and there is nothing you've done in your past, there is nothing you are doing today, and there is nothing you can do in your future that our God cannot rebuild, restore, redeem, and resurrect for his good, his will, and his purpose in your life. You are loved by the king. You're loved. Someone needs to hear that today, okay? Instead of being shamed by the purity we have called ourselves to, I want you to feel lifted up today. Now, this does not mean that we should approach relationships and sex with any less weight or respect, okay? In fact, quite the opposite. Because of the great God we serve and how much he loves us and the price he paid for us for our sins, because of that, we need to have this single focus in life. Why? Because until we have a single focus in life, I'll never be satisfied fully with this life. So what should be my focus? The kingdom of God revealed in the character of God. That character should be my focus. Lord, make me more like you. I'm gonna say yes to your ways, not just no to sex. Yes to you, Jesus. And if I get married, I'll continue saying yes to you. And the third thing we, we need to focus here is a contentment from God. A contentment from God. All three of these are tied together. The kingdom of God is revealed in the character of God. And as the character of God is built up in me, it produces a contentment from God. Jesus 
tells us, Matthew 6, 33, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he, that's God, will give you everything you need. We seem to apply this verse to everything in life except relationships. Seek the kingdom of God above all else by, by seeking the character of God and then God will give you everything you need. Do we believe that? Especially when it comes to a future spouse? Do we believe it? Do we believe it when we apply it to our struggles with our current spouse? Do we believe it with the fears of losing the spouse we love? I've said this and I've heard people say this. I couldn't live if I lost my spouse. And I understand the sentiment, okay? I know for those who have lost spouses, it is horrific, it's tragic, it's overwhelming. But if I actually can't live without my spouse, then Sabrina is my God and not Jesus. Do I really believe he's everything I need? This again ties directly into Romans 14, 17. This kingdom of God that we should seek says this again, we're gonna look at it. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness, that's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The definitions of these words, phenomenal. The word peace in the Greek language, it means wholeness. When all essential parts are joined together. And notice, it says this peace, this wholeness, is actually in the Holy Spirit. So the Apostle Paul, who wrote Romans under the authority of the Holy Spirit, he is telling us it's possible to be whole without holy matrimony. Then the word joy in Romans 14, 17, the word joy in the Greek language means, get it, joy, big surprise. It means delight or this one, the source of joy. So this idea of peace and joy is a contentment that only God through his Holy Spirit can provide. He is the source of our contentment, not a spouse. When we seek God's kingdom above all else, when we focus on the character of God being built in our lives, submitting ourselves to his will and his ways, fully trusting that he will give us everything we need, including a spouse if he so chooses, when we do that, we will begin to live in a place that we sang about earlier. Jesus, you are are enough for me. With nothing, I still have everything. Jesus, you are enough for me. Church, I want that to be our focus. I want that to be what I teach our children, my children, to pursue.
Yes, one day you might be married. Yes, one day they might be married, but marriage solves nothing. (laughs) Solves nothing. If my focus is not on Christ. Until I have a single focus in this life, I'll never be satisfied fully with this life. So what should be my focus? The kingdom of God, the character of God, and a contentment that only comes from God. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes if you would. I was very apprehensive about this message because I do feel like a paradigm shift is needed in my own life, in our church, and in God's church. A paradigm shift that takes the emphasis off of marriage or romantic love and puts it back to its rightful place upon Jesus even if I never get to experience that. And again, I know, coming from the married guy, it sounds incredibly insensitive, and I promise you it's not. Because I've had to repent in my own life for how I've taught, how I've lived, what I have pursued, what I've led my children to believe. So again, I don't don't know where this sermon's landing on you today, but I just want you to pause and say, Lord, if there's a... If I've had my focus off, would you please redirect it? Would you put my heart back in its rightful place, which is in line with you? Lord, would you help me as I, as I lead my, my friends, as I lead my family? Not, not to point everyone just to marriage, but to point them to you. And if marriage is in their future, praise God. But if it's not, praise God. Lord, I want to have a single focus. I'm praying this as myself. God, I want to have a single focus. Would you help me have a single focus? Maybe you're here today, though, and you, you, you've never put your faith in Jesus. I want to take you back to that verse we read where Jesus said, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. That was a prophetic statement about Jesus laying down his life for you. Jesus was God in the flesh. He paid the price for our sins, dying on a cross. He rose from the dead three days later and he actually did that for you whom he's calling you friend. There's a profound weight to that word friend because a friend you choose, family you're stuck with. And Jesus did not call you just family, he called you friend, meaning I'm choosing you. In all your sin, all your mess, all your brokenness, I'm choosing you laying down my life for you. And so if you're here today and you have never accepted that gift of salvation to be welcomed into, yes, the family of God as a friend, I'm I'm just going to open that up for you to, to find me, find a staff member, a volunteer out in the lobby.
or a prayer team member in the back of the room when we're done, I want you to talk to us about what that means to put your faith in Jesus. I don't want to just feel led not to do that right in this moment. But if you want to talk to someone about it, please do. Because it's, it's the most important decision you'll ever make is faith in Jesus. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a great God. Lord, I thank you for how loving you are even when we mistakenly get things wrong. And Lord, I pray for us today, I pray for us through this series that you would, Lord, that you would redirect our focus that in singleness, in marriage, Lord, even as we talk about the very, very weighty subject of divorce in the series, Lord, I pray that you would, first of all, comfort our hearts, fill us up with your spirit. Lord, I pray there'd be no condemnation or shame in the series, but there'd only be life and love from you. Lord, help us to walk in step with you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're new here, please stop by the living room on your way out. If you need prayer for anything at all, stop by the purple tent all the way in the back and our prayer team will pray with you. Next week, we're talking really directly to singles, but it's gonna be good for everybody, all right? Next week, we're talking about how singleness is not a season to endure, it's a status to celebrate. We're gonna talk about why we should celebrate singleness. It's gonna be powerful, gonna be awesome. I hope you'll be back for that. I love you guys. Have an awesome week. You're dismissed.